Okay. Uh, right after service today, we're going to have the, and uh, Jeannie mentioned this, we're going to have the play practice for Easter. It will be in the chapel. This will be a short uh, practice, and then we'll start in full-blown practices next week. So turn around and look at your neighbor and say, I'm ready to watch something. Go ahead. So there's this holiday created to celebrate love. And it's got all the bells and whistles, candy, cards, a day for chocolate and flowers, outdoing the year before if I can help it. <laughs> there's this mad rush to the store and a haste to find the gift to express my affection for the one I just can't live without. Until alas, I find the perfect sentiment written by someone I don't even know. There's a different way to look at love, to share love beyond words, beyond sentiment, beyond a single day, a whole new way to look at the word love. See, Jesus showed us another way, how to stoop down and lift up the broken, make sure the last in life are treated like the first, Show the most favor to the least likely. Hang out with those that have nothing to offer me. Reach out and forgive, even when it's not asked for. Ask forgiveness, even when I don't think I need it. What a way to love, to give, not just from my pocket, but from my heart too. To love them beyond what they can produce. Like them for more than their talent. Hug them despite their social status. See, Jesus showed me the type of love that doesn't stick to a holiday, that speaks beyond a card, that blossoms long after a flower dies. That's the kind of love I want, I need, that I'll give. The type of love that overflows from the most amazing grace. So how many of you are thankful for that amazing love? Amen. I want to preach to you for just a little bit this morning on the power of a devoted heart. Would you say that with me? The power of a devoted heart. I'm looking at a brand new baby in our congregation today, and let's give God a hand clap of praise for this baby girl. Can I get you to bring the baby up here? Her name is... Joanna. Isn't she a doll? And uh, doctors have said that Joanna has some things wrong with her, but how many of you know that Jesus is able to make right whatever the doctors said was wrong? So I want you to stretch your hands this way with me right now. There's no better time than right now to ask God for his miracle working power. Honey, come on up and lay hands on this mom and Joanna. She's such a doll. Father, we thank you today, God, in this congregation. Lord, we join ourselves together united, Father, in your love. Lord, and we know how much you love Joanna. I just pray, Father, that you hold her in your arms right now and let the warmth of your love and your healing power flow through this baby's body. We thank you for setting everything right, for doing for her what we can't. We know, God, that you're more than enough and we give you praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Amen. So, love shows up in a variety of forms. We're continuing to remember Scott Worthen's family today, his mother's in the hospital getting ready for her promotion day. And how many of you know that that's an exciting time? It's a sad time for the family, but if you're getting ready to cross over and see Jesus for the first time, that's pretty exciting, folks. Love can manifest itself in different ways. I talked about the power of a devoted heart. And I thought about how mamas can become like lions when it comes to their devoted heart. I remember reading in a book uh, several years ago about a couple that were in a national park and they had their granddaughter with them. This was a true story. They had their granddaughter with them. They had the window open and the two-year-old granddaughter was sitting at the table playing when a mountain lion came through the window and grabbed hold of their daughter. The grandfather stood shocked. Grandma grabbed him, yanked him out of the way, went to the front. As she was on her way to the front, she grabbed a butcher knife and plunged it into that lion's heart and drop that lion right there on that kitchen table because you ain't going to mess with my baby. <laughs> Do you understand the love that God has for us? Turn around and look at your neighbor and say, I'm God's baby. I may not look like a baby, but I am God's baby. And so God cares for us. There's the power of a devoted heart. I've read stories about ladies that lifted up cars off of their sons because the jacks fell off and they lifted, literally lifted the car up off of their son as people drug them out. There's something about a devoted heart that is able to go beyond ordinary measures. The question becomes is how devoted are you? How connected is your heart? I want to show you something in Scripture today that, see, sometimes a devoted heart doesn't look around at the circumstance. It's just looking at the one that it's devoted to. If you have your Bibles, go with me to 1 Samuel, the 14th chapter, starting with verse 6. It says, Then Jonathan said to the young man who bore his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us. For nothing restrains the Lord. Everybody say that with me. Nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. So his armor bearer said to him, do all that is in your heart. Go then, here I am with you according to your heart. Let me explain to you what's going on. The Philistines, Saul had come to the kingdom his kingdom now had been assured. He'd had a battle and, and won the battle, and now his kingdom was assured. So he gathered to himself 3,000 chosen men. He had 2,000 with him and gave his son Jonathan 1,000 to be with him. The Philistines were encroaching on Israeli territory. They had set up a military post in Gibeah, and as they stationed themselves there, Jonathan went out with his men and he attacked that post and broke that post down and Saul got excited and he started sounding the shofar and was telling everyone to gather themselves together and so the men of Israel began to gather themselves together but they weren't the only ones that started gathering together. How many of you have ever had an experience where there's a little dog barking at you? 
and you go, get out of here. And you didn't know that dog had a friend. And a big old Rottweiler comes around. I'll never forget, I was uh, back years ago when before email and all this stuff came out, it was when we still communicated with faxes and I was doing mission work in Russia. I had to fax them at midnight because of the time change. And so midnight there was nine o'clock in the morning for them, or midnight here was nine o'clock in the morning for them. So I was getting ready to go to the office at midnight, went outside and there was a big old Rottweiler. That had, I don't know whose it was, but it, it was sitting at, uh, you know, I was standing on the porch and it was down on the ground and it was looking at me and I tried one of those things. <laughs> I did one of that, get out of here. And that dog jumped up on the porch with me and I reached for the door, backed my way in, went inside and got me a gun and Debbie said, what are you doing? I said, I'm getting ready to kill me a dog. You would kill that dog before I let it eat me. You better believe I would. But what was your point? My point is that sometimes we can bite off more than we're able to chew. So how many, anybody ever been there before? You ever bite off more than you've been able to chew? I remember Debbie's brother, Tim, when I first went to their house, and I don't know what the deal was. You know, I don't know if it was a challenge or what it was, but her mom a lot of times would make, how many of you have ever had burritos? You know what I'm talking about? She would make burritos, and they were homemade, and they were great, but she would stuff them with anything and everything. You know, you're liable to get a hold of a burrito that had a hot dog in it, man. And, and you know, and, and, and uh, a burrito that was full of potatoes and beans, you know. And, and, so, you know, and so you didn't know what you were getting. It was wrapped up. We called it the secret recipe. They, they, you just didn't know what, what was going to get. Well, Tim had this habit. He would take and cram a whole. It was like a challenge for him or something. He'd take and cram a whole one in his mouth. He did that one time one of, with a hot dog. It had a hot dog in it. He crammed that in his mouth, and all of a sudden, he, and I saw his eyes start to get big and water, and, he, and he's, you know, and I'm thinking, man, alive is it, you know, and, so, and, and he, he gets it out of his mouth because he's biting off more than he's able to chew at one time. We do that in life a lot of times. We want to be Jesus Jr. We, we want to be able to take care of everyone's problems, but we have to come to an understanding that he delights in the fact that we come to him when we need his help. He's not looking for the individual that's self-assured, that, that's self-confident. He's looking for the one that says, God, I need you. I can't navigate this without you. There's power in a devoted heart. So when Saul gathered his men together, the Philistines gathered some men together too. Saul had 3,000 men. The, the Philistines showed up with 30,000 chariots. Now, obviously, you can't have a chariot without a man on it. So there's 30,000 men on chariots. He's got 6,000 horsemen with him. And the Bible said that the rest of the soldiers were like the sand of the sea. There are tens of thousands of soldiers, probably hundreds of thousands of soldiers that they're squaring off against, and Saul has 3,000. Guess what happens when they saw those 3,000? 
They got nervous. The Bible said that they started, all, all of a sudden, man, the Israel's, uh, Israelites started running and hiding themselves in caves and in the mountains and in the rocks until Saul's 3,000-man army had dissipated to 600 men, and the rest of them are scattered throughout the mountains and the rocks and the cliffs and the caves. And Saul doesn't know what to do. On the other hand... He has a son whose heart is devoted to God. His name is Jonathan. And he sees what's going on, and he sees the situation and the circumstance they're in. But it's amazing because Jonathan is not focused on the circumstance. He's focused on God. And so he goes out, and when he goes out, he, he makes a statement, and he tells his armor bearer, he said, you come and go with me. He said that it may be that the Lord will work for us. Everybody say, when all you got is a maybe. <laughs> when, when all, these are two guys, and they're, they're, they're easily... A hundred thousand men and two guys. He looks at him, he said, man, he said, come on. He said, you know, there's no restraint with God, whether to save by many or by few. And that armor bearer looked at him and what did he say? <laughs> he said, that's why you should always listen while I'm preaching. <laughs> he, he, the, the armor bearer looked at him and he said, he said, you do whatever's in your heart. He said, I'm with you according to your heart. Now, this might be a good time to mention that there are only two swords in all of Israel. The Philistines had refused to allow blacksmiths to set up shop in Israel because they didn't want them to be able to make weapons. So there are only two swords throughout that entire country and a man who has turned his back on God and is fearful is holding one of them. His name is Saul. And the other one that has it is Jonathan. And if you're the armor bearer, can't you see the temptation to look at Jonathan and say, well, man, it's easy for you to say you got a sword in your hand. All I got is a stick. But instead, what the armor bearer does, the armor bearer is so influenced by Jonathan's heart, by his devotion to God, that he just throws everything to the wind and he said, you do what's in your heart, I'm with you. He didn't say according to your skill. He didn't say according to your ability. He didn't say according to your stature or according to your place or according to who your relatives are. He said, I'm with you according to your heart. There's something powerful about a heart that's devoted to God that can inspire others to believe that they can do what they would have never dreamed they would be able to do on their own. And so they go to war, back to back. Get my back. Back to back. And they, they're, they're fighting. Everybody's, are you fighting? And the Bible said, the, hang on to me, man. The Bible said, the, the Bible tells him, 
No, no, keep, keep going. So the Bible said that John, or that the armor bearer slew after Jonathan. So Jonathan's taking these guys out. The ones that are getting past him, the armor bearer's taking out with a stick. Two men. And this is what happened. They killed 20 men. Well, what's 20 men when you got a 100,000-man army? Let me tell you something. When God sees you respond, even when it looks like there's no way you can win, when he sees a man holding a stick and fighting for a man that believes that God is able, God can take that stick and part a Red Sea with it. He can take that stick and turn it into a serpent. He can take that stick and summon plagues and boils and locusts. And, and I started to say rice, but my <laughs> he can do whatever he wants to do. Now watch this. Watch what happens. They respond and all of a sudden these two guys cause a turmoil to happen in the camp of the Philistines. Did they cause the turmoil? Now what God did is God honored faith. God looked at a heart that was devoted and looked down and said, would you look at, I, I can just... Here, God, God gave me imagination for something. I can see God looking down and saying, would you look at those two guys climbing over those rocks? They're getting ready to go down there. Jonathan had given a sign. He told the armor bearer, he said, look, he said, we're going to go down there. And if they tell us to stay where we're at and that they're going to come up to us, then God's not with us. And, we, we, you know, we're not, we're not going to fight them. But if they tell us, you come on down here and, 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 and fight us, then we know God's with us. If I'm the armor bearer, I'm saying, Jonathan, why don't we do that the other way around? I mean, if they say come down to us, why don't we head the opposite direction? But you see, there's something about faith in God, about a heart that's devoted to him that will give you courage you never dreamed you had, that will give you faith you didn't know you had. And God looking down and seeing them respond, and they go down, and they begin to fight, and they're doing all they can. Let me share something with you. When you'll be faithful to do all you can, God will show you what he can do. <laughs> when you're faithful to respond to God with a devoted hearts, God's hand will show up in the middle of your circumstance. So while these men went down and they're fighting and 20 men drop, more than 20 men are influenced. The Bible said that there's tumult in the camp of the Philistines, that all of a sudden it's like the earth begins to shake. And all the Philistines start looking at each other and they turn toward one another. They start fighting among themselves. And he defeats that army because two men are willing to say, God, I, I believe you're able. The, give him a hand, would you? The power of a devoted heart. Don't lose that stick. You may need it. <laughs> the power of a devoted heart. If I'm going to follow someone, I want to make sure they know where they're going. Karen talked about, I, I, we did a mission trip to Trinidad here a couple of years ago and uh, Karen Hale went and she came back talking about, man, I, you can't keep up with him in the airport. He just, phew. she was talking about me. I told her later, I said, Karen, there's a reason I was doing that. I said, I'd never been in that airport before. We had to go through Toronto and I was trying to stay far enough ahead of everybody so I could figure out where I was at. So when everybody else got up there, I wasn't going 
See, it's important for you as a parent to be able to know where you're at and where you're going. Because if you want children, your children to follow you, they need to know that you're devoted and confident, not in yourself, but in your faith and your walk with God. Parents, one of the worst things for children to experience are parents wringing their hands, going, I don't know what I'm going to do. I, I don't know what we're going to do. If they see that, it multiplies in them. But when you see, you, I never heard my dad talking about the bills. I never heard him talking about how bad things were or how rough things are because they were safeguarding me from that. You know, I didn't have to worry about paying the electric bill. You gave me a quarter, I could get a pop and a bag of chips and a candy bar. And I was one happy camper. For a quarter? How old are you? None of your business. <laughs> and so it, it protected me. It safeguarded me. Hearts that are devoted can become a powerful tool and have a powerful influence on others. There was a man in Scripture, his name was David. David was referred to as what? A man after God's own heart. There was a Philistine giant that had been holding the army of Israel in fear for 40 days. And this little shepherd boy came up on the site. David's not a skilled warrior at this point. How do you know that? Because he told Saul to keep his armor and his sword. He said, I, I haven't proven them. What does that mean? It means I don't know how to use them. I've never, I've never used those. You need to understand that God will use what you have in your hand if you'll give it to him. If you'll just give it to him. Sometimes we think that, oh, I, I remember I was doing uh, street ministry, and, I, and you know, I, I would take a bullhorn and tie it to the back of my Jeep and drive around, and I'd, I'd just start preaching, you know, where I'd find a place and set up on a street corner and start preaching. And I had a friend of mine came to me, and he said, brother, he said, I, I want to do street ministry. He said, but I need, I need a piano player I need, I need, you know, some guitar players. It'd be wonderful if I had some drummers, you know, and I'd really, or have a drummer, and I really need to do that. And I looked at him, I said, look, man, I said, you can spend the rest of your life waiting on that. I said, if you really want to do street, meaning grab a bullhorn, find you a corner on a sidewalk, and start preaching the Word of God. I'm telling you, you say, oh, that, that, there's no way that can have an impact. I was preaching in Metropolis one time, and there was nobody that I could see that was listening to me and all of a sudden I looked up and a guy built like a tank came walking down the street walking right toward me he didn't look like he was too happy either I felt kind of like Daniel in the lion's den and I remember I, I remember taking a deep breath and going okay God here it goes 
And I started walking toward him. And I didn't know if that guy was coming to eat my lunch or what was going to happen. I walked out. And when I walked out and I got close to him, I saw big old tears running down his cheek. Yeah, he'd been down the road and God had touched his heart. God's word can go where you can't go. So you've got to speak it. That's why you declare a thing. You don't have to say it to your children. Just speak it over your children. A devoted heart. And so when it comes time where David's getting ready to, it's it's toward the end of his life. It's like, you know, it's almost like people start writing their memoirs, you know. And there's a place in Scripture in the second chapter of Samuel, I believe the 23rd chapter of second Samuel, where it starts talking about these be the last words of David. And And it starts talking, and David's reflecting And he starts talking about his mighty men. Mighty men, come on out. So David had 30 mighty men. Everybody say 30. But there were three that stood out from the 30. Everybody say three. And among the three, there was a leader. His name was Jabash O. Everybody say, we're going to call him Jash for short. So the scripture says that Jashobim, I got it now, Jashobim. The scripture said concerning him that he killed 800 men in one battle with a spear. And said that he was the leader Among the three, everybody say the three, an elite force. The next in line was Eleazar. Eleazar one time had fought with, alongside David. The battle had gotten so intense that the rest of the Israeli army had completely fled. But David and Eleazar continued to battle. And the Bible said that they fought so long and hard That by the end of the battle, Eleazar's hand clave to the sword. It was like he couldn't get his hand broke loose from it. It was, it was, it was, he gripped it so tight and so long that he couldn't hardly get it off. Work on that. (laughs) The third man's name was Shama. And Shama had one day fought over a bean patch. Everybody say a bean patch. If you want to use the correct analogy in King James, it's a field of lentils. They're in the middle of that, and the Philistines showed up, and they're fighting, and all the other Israelites left, but he continued to fight and would not give up his ground. I want you to hear what I'm going to say. What may seem worthless to other people may be a treasure to you, and so you ought to treat it like a treasure. Don't throw away that that God has placed in your heart that you value because God can help you to obtain it and keep it if you're willing to fight for it. Turn around, look at your neighbor and say, fight for it. There are some things that aren't worth fighting for. There are other things that are worth dying for. So you need to make up your mind how you choose your battles. And what you're going to 
where you're going to draw the line in the sand and say, as for me and my house, we're going to serve God. So these men are known for their exploits, for their ability to fight in a battle, what they're capable of doing. But they're known for more than their exploits. In this final chapter, in this chapter where it seems to sum up David's life, it points out something that these men did. These men are not just known for their exploits, they're known for their heart. They're known for a heart that was so devoted to David that they were willing to risk their lives on a desire, not a command, not an order, not a request, but just a whim. David was in a stronghold and the Philistines held Bethlehem. They had set up a military post and you couldn't get in Bethlehem. And David in that place where he is, he, he just said it just from the desire of his heart. He wasn't giving an order. He wasn't addressing. It was just, he was just thinking out loud. And he said, oh, would to God that someone, that, he said that I, I could drink from that well in Bethlehem. I, I just wish I had some water. When those men heard that, it so impacted them that they gathered together. They, 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 do you understand? There is a military post that set up in Bethlehem. These men charge that post. They begin to fight their way through. And as they're fighting their way through, they're fighting to get a cup of water. Everybody say a cup of water. These guys begin to take on the entire Philistine army, not over a command, not over an order, but because David had a desire and they said, I'm going to fill that desire because their heart was knit with David's heart. And when they come back and they present that cup to David, David looked at it and David is so touched. Dear God, help us not to start taking each other for granted. Not to look at those things that have been sacrificed and, and given for the cause and, and to treat it lightly. And David looked at that water, that cool water from Bethlehem's well, and he looked at those men who had risked their life, and he raised it up, and he poured it out as an offering to the Lord. He said, I can't drink this. This is the blood of these men's lives that risk it to be able to go and draw this for me. I'm not worthy of anything like that. But I serve a God that is worthy. I serve a God that is able. And so he offers it to God. These men are David's mighty men. They understood something about devotion. I've met people over my lifetime that walked away from God because they got offended over something. Can I remind you, the people that offended you did not die for you. They did not sacrifice their life for you. The person that acted ugly to you, don't feel, don't get so up on yourself. You're not the first person they've been ugly to. You're not the last person they're going to be ugly to. Some people just ugly. They can't help it. Turn around, look at your neighbor and say, I sure am glad we're not like that. 
When I got up today, I left ugly in the bed. <laughs> Don't you dare. <laughs> Don't you dare. I'm talking about an attitude, not a person. I can't believe you. Men? No, I'm kidding. No, I'm, kidding. <laughs> I'm talking about an attitude. Sometimes, how many of you have ever woke up with an ugly attitude? Be honest. How many of you ever woke up with an ugly attitude? Those of you that don't have your hands raised, there'll be a service for your repentance afterwards. We've all had ugly attitudes, haven't we? We've all come up, and there are times, but look, if you can check it, if you can recognize it and say, God, I don't want this. Get this off of me. Do you know that you've already won the battle? When you give it to God, that was David's secret. When Goliath went out to meet him, he didn't see a giant. He saw someone that thought they were bigger than his God was. And he said, you come to me with a sword and a shield in the spirit, but I'm coming to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, and this day he'll deliver you into my hand. You've got to get your focus in the right place and get your heart devoted to the right person. His mighty men. That's all that I ever read about him. That one excerpt. But it was enough that David wanted the world to know that these men's devotion was so great that they risked their lives for me. Give them a hand, would you? <laughs> Say, Pastor, what's all that got to do with us? I'm getting to that. They were willing to risk everything for one man. Everybody say David. David is a man that God gave a promise to. That your kingdom will be established forever. And it pointed to someone coming when Shiloh comes. <laughs> These three mighty men risked their life for one man. But my friend, one man came and gave his life for us. Amen. With a heart that was devoted to God, he knelt in a garden and prayed, not my will, but your will be done. If you'll allow me this morning, he said, God, not what I want, but you do all that's in your heart because I'm with you according to your heart. And so one man's devotion changed my life forever. Did you ever give somebody something and they didn't appreciate it? Give someone a gift at Christmas time and they, you know why our, our, our grandchildren, when we traveled, our grandchildren used to get gifts all the time. Do you know why? Not because they were grandchildren, because of, the, I'll just be honest with you, if they hadn't appreciated it, I wouldn't have done it. But we would bring gifts to them. I'd, I'd travel to different countries, bring gifts or go to another state and we'd 
bring a gift. And every time we did, they'd open it. I don't care what it was. It could have been something inexpensive. And Landon and Shaley would look, oh, oh, thank you, Papa. Thank you so much, Nana. And they would hug us and love on us and show appreciation for what they'd been given. I don't know if they'd figured that out or not, but, <laughs> but it meant they were getting something else. Because when you value what's been given to you, more comes. Amen. Well, you got any scripture for that? I'm glad you asked. He said, in, in as much as you're faithful over a few things, I'll do what? I'll make you ruler over many things. Can I say it to you in plain English? And the fact that you valued what I gave you, I'm going to release more things into your hand because I know I can trust you with it and I know you're going to value it. I cannot take it. How many of you, I'm not asking for any names. Have you ever been to a, a gathering, whether it was a birthday or Christmas or, or whatever, and, and all of a sudden you know you've, you, you bring your gift in, and when you bring your gift in, you know it's unwrapped, and it's, oh. You know what I'm talking about? Just tossed aside, and then the next thing. What's next? What's next? I want you to pray for my little granddaughter, because she's in a dilemma. We had her birthday, and we gave her a gift, and she had the gift in her hand, but there were more gifts to open, so they took it from her. And they set it over here, let's open this. And she's going, wait. I... See, she, she wanted to take time to value what had been given to her. She wanted to take time to play with what she had received. She wasn't interested in moving on to the next thing until she had fully appreciated that thing. Dear God, help me to have a heart that's devoted, that doesn't just try and move to the next. And here I am, God, give me this, give me that, give me this, give me that, but can take time to drop down on my knees and value what I've been given. That, my friend, is why David is a man that's after God's own heart. Not because he had not sinned, but because when he took time to look around, he dropped on his knees and he said, I live in a house of cedar and the temple, the ark of God is under a tent. I want to do something for God. I want to let him know how much I love him. Amen. Everybody say, serve. In our next steps class, we have a line that here at Christ Community Church, we are participators, not spectators. Not just looking to see what's the next thing, what's next on the list. There's got to be something in our hearts that value him above all else. Everybody say, I value him. The heart of Christ was completely devoted and focused. Amen. 
in a book called The Anatomy of Calvary, they looked at Calvary through medical science. And they talked about that the whipping he took from the Romans was so horrific and intense that if you had taken a bright light and shined in his at his chest, you could have seen the glow of that light coming out his back. Your, you have nerve endings all through your scalp and they beat it down on his head. Spikes that ripped through his wrists, his feet. He struggled to breathe. His lungs were filling up with water, and when he would push himself up, it would not just tear his wrists and tear his feet, but that Roman cross was built with a spike at the backside, and it would rip him open. And when all that was going on, he looked out at that crowd and said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Why is it so hard for us to forgive? Maybe it's because we forget what we've been forgiven. We forget how much We've been loved. I'm going to ask Debbie to come. I want you to, if you would, sing that song, Oh, How He Loves. So David writes, this man after God's own heart, he makes a request of the Lord. This is found in Psalms 27. One to six, I'm getting ready to wrap up, but please listen to these words. David speaking, he says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. So why should I be afraid? The Lord is my fortress, protecting me from danger. So why should I tremble? When evil people come to devour me, when my enemies and foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though a mighty army surrounds me, my heart will not be afraid. Even if I am attacked, I will remain confident. <laughs> uh, they didn't know what to do with David. He'd charge out and face the enemy when all the odds were against him. Because David understand, if God be for me, who my friend can be against me. I want that kind of heart, don't you? Listen to what he goes on to say. The one thing I ask of the Lord, the thing I seek most, is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. The one thing I want more than anything else, David doesn't say to see my enemies fall at my feet. He doesn't say to see my kingdom spread out all over the earth. 
to have more wealth than any man has known, to experience more pleasure than I've ever thought possible. There's only one thing I want, one thing I'm seeking. I want to live in God's house. I don't want him to come and visit me. I'm not looking for a two-hour service or a week's vacation hanging out with God. I want to live with him. I want to wake up every morning and see his face. I want to lay my head on a pillow at night knowing he's tucking me in. One thing I desire that I ask for, that I could live in the house of the Lord forever, all the days of my life, delighting in the Lord's perfections and meditating in his temple. For he will conceal me there when troubles come. He will hide me in a sanctuary. He'll place me out of reach on a high rock. Then I will hold my head high above my enemies who surround me. At his sanctuary, I will offer sacrifices with shouts of joy, singing, and praising the Lord with music. So David saying, said, you let me move into God's house. You let me hang out with God, and I ain't afraid of any of my enemies, man. I'm telling you, God's got my back. Yeah, you let me hang out in the house of God, and God will put me on a rock where they can't reach me. I'll be able to look down on them, and while I'm looking, I'm going to be shouting and praising God for all he's done for me. Amen. Would you stand with me today? There's power in a devoted heart. I want my proclamation to be, God, my heart is devoted to you. Years ago, Olivia Newton-John Newton topped the charts with a song called, Hopelessly Devoted to You. And the song sang about loving someone that really didn't love them back. That's not the case with God. The Bible said that God commended his love toward us and that Christ died for us while we were still sinners. What's that mean? Before he ever knew what your choice would be, he chose you. Before he ever knew whether you would say yes or no, before you'd ever made a commitment to him, he made the ultimate commitment to us Amen. and said, here I am. Amen. Amen. Come on, give him a hand clap of praise. He's worthy. I want you to think about this. I want you to think about the fact that we serve a God that loves us so much he'd rather die for us than live without us. Amen. Can you relate to that? Yeah, I can. Well, you talk, I got a little two-year-old granddaughter that I would die for. I've got a 17-year-old grandson that I would lay my life down for. A 14-year-old granddaughter that before you could ever get to her, you're going to have to come through me. For God so loved the world 
that he gave. I want you to help me wrap my head around this. Because I can understand giving up everything for my son. But giving up my son for someone else. Oh, how he loves me. Sing it with him, would you? decision today that only you can make how devoted am I to God how much of me am I willing to give him there have been several times that I've prayed and I've thanked God and let me tell you why I've thanked him one of the biggest joys of my life was that God let me spend the majority of my life preaching his word and sharing his love I can't tell you what that's meant to me when I was punching a time clock having all the revival I could have in that factory and hearing a voice in my head saying why are you still here my people need to know they're winners and not losers and trying to wrestle that and trying to believe that and trying to find the courage to be able to stand up and say, here I am, God, use me, God, send me, God. At some point in everybody's life, uh, God challenges you to step out of your comfort zone uh, and step into a life that surrounds him uh, so that his, your life is not a part. Let me say it this way, too many times we're trying to fit God in to our life instead of making God our life and letting him put all the pieces together. So we're going to pray in just a second. I'm going to ask the uh, prayer partners to come forward. We're going to, I'm going in a minute to ask you to come and join us. We're going to pray. But let me share this with you. So there's a story of this little boy and he's trying to get his dad's attention. His dad's trying to read the newspaper and his boy's in there and he's 
trying to get daddy to play with him and everything and man dad's getting more frustrated by the minute he finally comes up with an idea he grabs a puzzle of the world he takes his son into another room he sets his son down in the floor and he said would you do daddy a favor he said sure daddy anything he said would you put this puzzle together for me he said I will daddy I will and and he goes and, and he walks back to his room he's got a big smile on his face he thought man I'm not gonna be bothered for hours he kicks back in his chair ten minutes later the boy is back in there hey daddy hey daddy hey daddy what he said I done what do you mean you're done he said I'm done I, I done you can't be done. See, yeah, Daddy, come see. So he walks in the other room, and the boy has got the puzzle of the world all in place. His father is flabbergasted. He looks at him, he said, how in the earth did you manage to get the world together in 10 minutes? And the boy smiled real big. He said, look, Daddy. He turned the puzzle over. He said, there was a picture of Jesus on the back. I put Jesus together and the world fell into place. When you put Jesus, when, when, when you're devoted to him, when you say, God, here I am, and my life is all about you, whatever you want, whatever you want to do, I'm okay with God because my heart is hopelessly devoted to you. Everything else in your life, will begin to fall into place. How many of you are ready to put that puzzle together? <laughs> Come on, you go ahead and step on out here today with me. We're going to end up front. Move on out. You got some pieces in your life you need the God to put together for you. We got prayer partners here that will pray with you. You may just want to come up today and say, God, look, I, I just want to freshly let you know that I'm committed to you. And I'm giving you everything that I have, God, that it's all about you. Would you make that step right now? I'm going to hold for just a second and let you make that step. Now, so here's what I'm asking you. How much of God do you want in your life? I mean... What we do sometimes is we say, okay, God, I'm going to let you have this part, but this other part I kind of like. You know, I, I, I still want to hold on to that. And you're going to find yourself living a miserable life because the Bible said that the way of a transgressor is hard. Well, wait a minute. I'm not no transgressor. Listen to me. We've all transgressed God's word, haven't we? Haven't we all been there? Haven't we all done that? Well, then, what's your point, Pastor? My point is, is that when you give it all to Him, then He's able to put it together for us. Quit trying to figure out your world. Just invite Jesus into it, and your world will come into place. Yes. Would you stretch your hands to heaven with me right now? All across this building, just raise your hands to heaven with me. Father, we come to you today to thank you for your faithfulness and your goodness. God, that you have done for us what we could have never done for ourselves. And God, I want to say that I'm sorry today that I haven't always appreciated it the way 
that I need to appreciate, the way that you deserve to be appreciated. So today, with a renewed purpose and a determined heart, I say thank you. Thank you for the big things and thank you for the small. I thank you for the miracle of my children, but I also thank you that you've given me a car that got me here this morning. That you put gas in my tank, God, and you set me on my way. I thank you, Father, for springtime when I hear the birds and I see the flowers. And sometimes I just let that slip by and don't notice it. But this year, God, I'm going to notice some things. I'm going to pay attention to the details because my heart is going to remain devoted to you. This isn't about a service on February the 9th in 2020. This is about a decision to live the rest of my life focused on you in a special way. I thank you, God, for all that you've done. I thank you, Father, for this church family. God, the friendships that we've made here and how that you've uniquely connected us so that we're no longer strangers, but we are family. God, and I don't take family lightly. Thank you, God, for the strengths that you've given us, the diversity that you've brought to us. God, for each one and the part they play. Our prayer is today that you let us play that part all together so that when each person plays their part, a symphony is heard. Let our symphony be totally devoted to you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, give me a hand clap of praise in this house today. You walk out of here with a renewed determination that you're going to do just exactly what God has asked you to do. Amen. Hold, hold on just a second. Would you come here and just say, I don't know what your name is. If you, you would just stand here for just a second. And I, I don't know you, but if I don't do this, I'm going to pay for it later. So I'm, I want to be obedient. I see you on a road where there's been a lot of obstacles that have gotten in your way. And over the last three months, it seems like it's gotten pretty intense. Am I telling the truth? Now, there's no way that I could know that, but he does. He wouldn't let me let go of this today without letting you know. I want you to tell her that I'm mindful of what she's going through, that I've seen her circumstance and her situation, and I'm acting on behalf of her. Tell her to renew her heart, to renew her hope, and to hold on. For in not many days, she's going to see me work. God, I give you praise for it right now. In Jesus' name. Mm. God is a miracle working God. Amen.
It's always easier to believe a miracle for someone else than it is when you need it. But aren't you glad that it's no harder for him to do it for you than it is for the person that you believed it for? So I want you to stretch your hands toward Todd today. God is going with Todd. We, he's facing some challenges. And, but how many of you know that he's not facing it alone? We never go through a wilderness without gaining something from it, right? And so you're going to God in a unique way is going to cause you to glean from this wilderness. As you stretch your hands to heaven with me right now. Father, what I'm asking you to do is to begin to work right now. I, I, I'm asking you, Father, to go to work before the doctors do. God, to begin to already... Say, Pastor, I don't understand. What, what are these people doing in the floor? Look. For you to believe that God can touch you, the God that created the universe and nothing happened, is more amazing to me than you wondering why somebody's laying in the floor. If God is who he said he is and he is, he's well able to do whatever he wants, right? So I'm just asking you to walk out of here with a renewed faith and a renewed determination that not only is God going to work for me, but God is going to work through me. <laughs> Come on, raise those hands up and say, God is going to work through me. God, I thank you, Father, for what you're doing. We sense it, God, the beginning of a year of power. A year of clarity, a year of purpose, a year of you showing others that you're more than able to take care of us. I give you praise for it right now in Jesus' name. God bless you today. As you walk out of here, you walk out of here knowing that you're loved, you're cared for, and you, my friend, are never, ever walking alone. Amen. Come on, give him a hand clap of praise today. Thank you, Jesus.
turns its back and it feels like the end, oh Lord. 